Tēnā koutou no mai, haere mai, welcome to q and I'm Jack Tame. This morning, the Hamilton West by-election sets the tone for next year's main event. Then, what happened to the big tourism reset? You know, it was a bit of a camper van car park. It, it's not as splash as it could be. I just don't think we were living the brand that we had sold to people who were paying a lot of money to come here. And later, what will it mean if Donald Trump is criminally indicted? I have great admiration for his skill as a con artist. He's the greatest con artist in the history of the world. We'll have that interview for you shortly. But first this morning, the contest for Hamilton West is shaping up as a proxy of sorts for next year's general election. After the falling out between Labour and Godav Sharma and Sharma's subsequent resignation, a by-election will decide the local MP for the remainder of this political term. Now, Hamilton West is a largely urban electorate with infrastructure, transport and housing challenges typical of a growing city. For this Q&A debate, we spoke to Godav Sharma, who's launched the Momentum Party, Nationals candidate Tama Tucker, Labour's candidate Georgie Dancy and ACT's James McDowell. And we sat down together at the glorious Waikato Museum. Tēnā koutou, thank you very much for being here with us. Kia ora. Godav, I'm going to start with you. So, Curia polling commissioned by ACT published by NewsHub, shows just 2.5% of Hamilton West voters plan on supporting you in this by-election. Why do you think you're so unpopular? Well, actually, that poll was taken, in my understanding, is the same week that I actually, um, you know, ended up resigning. So it's not a true reflection of the numbers. But also, you know, the real poll that counts is the election day. And, uh, you know, if anything, the Prime Minister herself says she doesn't count any of the polls. And most of the parties say that anyway, so I, I don't believe in those polls. Do, do you think you're going to lose? No, I'm putting up a good fight, and from my constituents that I'm hearing, from the patients, my former patients I'm hearing, uh, I've got a good shot. Your New Zealand Momentum Party website at the moment has no policy published on it. So what distinguishes your policy priorities from those of the Labour Party? Well, the first thing I'll say is most of the parties haven't released their policies and most parties don't release their policies until the general election. But, but I suppose... But sometimes they do and then they do a U-turn and they do another U-turn and another one. Right, but you're standing in a by-election and you're the only That's representative right. of your party, so surely we should know That's what right. policies and, you, you know, stand and this for. election is about Hamilton West uh, rather than the rest of the country. Uh, but we are standing as a centrist party in between National and Labour, the Reds and the Blues, and our idea is to focus purely on getting outcomes done. I know Labour has had a policy for a long time on many things, and I was you know, part of that government, but the outcome hasn't been delivered. So it's not just about having policies, it's also about getting the outcomes. Right, so, so in order to achieve those outcomes as a local MP, you're going to have to have a really good relationship with the government, and obviously your relationship with the current government isn't in the best place, so how will well, you even, achieve those? Well, actually, even after I became an independent MP, we've been getting a lot of work done for our constituents, and, you know, I can easily prove that. You know, we have good relationships uh, with the ministers uh, when we work as MPs, and that's the same for, you know, if you have a national MP or an ACT MP uh, who is working for their electorate and getting things done through the government uh, and through the ministers, and I'm pretty sure the ministers won't be biased when they're trying to get outcomes for uh, constituents across the board. What, what have you achieved since, since resigning as the local MP? What, what have you achieved? Well, one of the things I've been doing is, you know, really asking the questions which previously I was asking within closed doors, now I'm asking openly. You're talking about crime, you know, I've been asking uh, the Prime Minister about whether uh, the government should be paying for the insurance premiums that are going up for a lot of, uh, our, you know, shops that are being ram raided. I've talked about Tepukanga, where there's a $110 million deficit. It's headquartered here in Hamilton West. I've talked about the local uh, Sikh Gurdwara, where Immigration New Zealand raided and didn't follow the Tikanga. Hasn't it changed on any of those fronts, though? 
right. But, you know, I mean, this is the point. Well, the point of being a member of parliament is to actually raise these um, concerns and questions. And you can't do that if you are, uh, you know, part of a bigger party and you are reined in by, uh, you know, what they you want to You just said, though, that you're still affecting change. And I guess that's the point. And, and, and there are perhaps some voters who wonder whether or not, because of your relationship with the current government, you will be able to affect that change. But I'm glad you raised the crime point, because I'm going I'm to ask all the candidates about that in just a couple of minutes. Tama, uh, up until very recently, you have been living in Tamaki Makoto. You've moved down to Hamilton West for this by-election campaign. But why shouldn't voters in Hamilton West uh, select someone or elect someone who's been living here a bit longer? Well, <clears throat> I'm living in Hamilton West right now, out on Rains Road in Peacocks. For 10 years, I delivered results, along with a team at Tainui Group Holdings and also at other employers, with my wife running charities and community activities. I've actually delivered results and got things done in Hamilton West. So you can refer to the base, building that shopping centre at Tower at the base, running hotels here in Hamilton West, delivering STEM education and after-school programs for children in Hamilton West, uh, building houses and sections with people like David Lugden and Malcolm McDonald in Hamilton West. I've actually got things done in Hamilton West. And yes, I went uh, to Auckland and worked for the superannuation fund and running an iwi up there right now as the CEO. I've resigned from that role to come back and earn the trust, earn the respect and earn the vote of Hamilton West voters. Have you been helicoptered in? No, no. I've actually returned to the home of my wife where she was brought up in Dinsdale on Road Street, uh, just around the corner from Blackburn Street. My boys were brought up, they're actually born here. My daughter lives here now at Waikato Diocesan. She's a boarder at the school here. And so does my mother-in-law, my darling mother-in-law, who, who lives over at the Bupa facility on Inso Ave. So I've actually done things in Hamilton West, have a strong history in Hamilton West of doing things and delivering to communities. Georgie, what responsibility should your party take for the breakdown in the relationship with Godav? Look, my focus is on the people of Hamilton West. Uh, that issue has been dealt with, but me here today uh, focused on the, our communities uh, getting the support they need and having a representative in Parliament that will ensure their issues are heard and put front and centre to the government. What about voters who feel a bit let down by the last Labour selection in this seat? You know, when I've been out in the streets talking to people of the community and with our Labour volunteers, what I see is a really, really strong Labour base here. So people know the values of the Labour Party and they know that we've re delivered results over the last few years and they're confident that Labour will continue to do so in government. James, polling by your own party shows at the moment you're a distant third in this by-election race. The Greens and Te Pāti Māori didn't put anyone up for the race. What is the point of your campaign? Well, the point is to show that ACT is here uh, and is listening uh, and to you know, ideally grow the party. Um, for my part, I've been a sitting MP for the last two years, so I'd like to take my experience uh, with all my you know, portfolios and all the types of issues that I've uh, looked after uh, and really bring that home here to Hamilton, to a city that I've lived in for the best part of 17 years. Um, certainly a lot of family connections too beyond that. Uh, so really just you know, using my experience, growing the party, uh, and I think we're in it for a chance. It will be an uphill battle for sure. Yeah, you say yeah, the, the, the Act's purpose here is to show that it's here, to show that it's listening, but not to win. Well, no, the, the idea is to win. 
Uh, and as I said, it will be an uphill battle, but uh, I'm, look, I'm working hard um, representing people of Hamilton uh, and Waikato more generally in my current role. Uh, but really focusing, I've been out and about a lot, talking to a lot of people, a lot of businesses, and, and just really hearing about a lot of these uh, horrendous issues that are occurring at the moment. OK, let's get into some of those issues. I'll ask you all the same question here. Godo, if you can go first. What should be the absolute number one priority for the next MP for Hamilton West? Well, look, one of the things is that being the bellwether seat of the country, a lot of the priorities are similar to the rest of the country. Uh, crime is the number one thing that I'm hearing on the ground uh, across the board, whether it's um, people who have been robbed or you know have had a uh, ram raid done to their shops or it is the general public who are worried about it. Uh, the next one is uh, health waiting lists. You know, people are just waiting forever and ever to get uh, any, uh, you know, appointment with the GP or in the hospital. And then it comes down to workforce. So, you know, with immigration changes uh, that have happened within the Labour government over the last few years, you know, pharmacies are closing at 2 o'clock because they don't have enough workforce. Same thing with hospitality sector. So there's quite a range of issues there. Good. Those three priorities. Give me one, Tama. The number one priority in Hamilton West right now is law and order and protecting whānau and making them feel safe, secure and not broken. Uh, that extends into businesses and I've been spending a lot of time, especially around Frankton and the base, listening to people's concerns about how they feel very insecure, people ram-raiding uh, businesses to take a couple of bottles of Coke. That's the uh, Frankton uh, Bakery just down there on Commerce Street. So I see these examples every single day and people's cars getting ripped off and people feeling unsafe, like uh, a lady at Texas Radio yesterday who had a dagger to, to her body two days ago in the middle of town. Those are the key issues that we need to address. It's really actually good that Tama has gone and sp spoken to those people because I've been living right next to the Frankton Bakery and going there for the last five years doing the Frankton Markets as well, so you know, it's good that the new candidate from Auckland is able to You could be good security, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Georgie, number one priority. Yeah, look, I've been living in Hamilton um, for 20 years. I'm a small business owner and we employ 10 staff. And one of the things that I've really felt in opening my business is just that sense of security that I don't always feel that we have. And we spent a lot of money in setting up our business on security. And what I want is for communities to feel safe in their businesses, for businesses to be able to thrive, but also for us to have uh, the protections um, so that people who are offending, uh, are, there are repercussions for that offending, but also we're looking at the root of the problem and ensuring that our communities are growing up in safe environments. Well, isn't this the government's responsibility? Absolutely, it's the government's responsibility. Labor's been in power for five years. Yep, yep. And, and, and look, when I'm on the streets, I absolutely see that this is a major. What the government has done is taken steps to resolve it and continue to take those steps. So you'll know that ram raids has reduced um, in the last, uh, in October. Um, and Labor has invested over a thousand more frontline police across the country than ever before. Jack, you know, Ram Raids, this is the Ram Raid capital of New Zealand. And Labor's soft on crime, mm. and there's been a 500% increase in Ram Raids across the country. One in five Ram Raids in New Zealand are in Waikato, and most of them are in Hamilton. To just give yeah. you some more stats well, on that. I'll tell you what, we'll come back to that in just a moment, because I do really want to talk about this. I know there's a massive issue for this community. James, very quickly, your number one priority. Is it crime as well? It's crime, and uh, luckily we'll be hitting the ground running in terms of uh, us as a party. I'm already sitting MP, straight into it. 
uh, know what I'm doing. And look, the issue with crime is, is, um, is prevalence everywhere. It is a New Zealand issue, but it's, it's massive. Proportions are ridiculous here in Hamilton. And literally every day, and that's the tragedy, you can just wake up and go, OK, how many stores were hit overnight? Right. So, so, Jack, um, what have these two done for crime sitting in peace? Well, for, a, for instance, uh, over the last few weeks, I've been down there in Parliament asking questions about Hamilton and getting more information. We've dug into this crime prevention fund programme that the government has done, which has been a total fail. That's completely incorrect. Actually, can I just add to that? Uh, so six I, weeks ago, hang on, just James can finish. I'll just clarify, because people were wondering about this, you know, talking to store owners. Mm. It's an arduous process. Uh, and uh, I asked the minister, uh, the police minister, Chris Hipkins, you know, how many businesses in Hamilton have had equipment installed? Mm. Now, this has been almost six months. Mm. How's this going? And the answer was zero. And we asked last week, what about for the whole country? And he refused to answer so it. So we found yeah. out that data. We went to police and asked them the same thing. Um, the latest data that we have is that 83 stores nationwide have had installations to protect them from ram raids. Um, and that there are um, businesses that have them booked and have them... Talk to Ash up in Flagstaff, who's had it 12 times in 12 months ram raids, and he hasn't been able to access that. Well, this is the thing. We couldn't, they couldn't break down the data for us region by region but, as but well. But two months Ago when I asked the Prime Minister that question, she said she was proud of the fact that they were going to spend $6 million on 500 businesses, and two hours later we found out that zero businesses had been supported. So yes, there, are, there might be 80 businesses now, but this is a government that just talks and doesn't do the work. Georgia. I'd like to address this. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. So 13% of ram raids across the country have occurred in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. The Crime Prevention Fund, 15% of that fund has been allocated so far to Hamilton. So it's and one, we know one this five is an between issue. between June and September, I think. We know recently. We know this is an issue and we're not taking it like, lightly. You'll also see that we've had over 200 arrests for people involved in ram raids and 1,200 people have had been prosecuted around ram raids. Labor, if I could finish, the Labor Party is taking this seriously. We are addressing the policing. You ask any police officer in Hamilton and they'll tell you that they're focused on this. But the other aspect I do want to touch on uh, is that this isn't just a policing issue, it's also a community issue. And we need to look at this holistically with wraparound supports for our communities. I was a previous uh, school teacher and every day I saw kids who just grew up in really difficult uh, households. And that's the kids that we're seeing doing these ram raids. And what we need is to make sure that they, as well as tough policing, we also need really strong community support and health and education to support whānau. Yeah, so Tama, I'll come to you in a, in a moment, Gaurav. Tama, you said um, you've been visiting businesses, you posted on Facebook and you said something needs to change and fast. So if you are the local MP for Hamilton West, what changes here? Well, we've invited the Labour Party, the Labour government, to look at our recently announced plan from yesterday and take action on the 20 or so young people who are causing the majority of the ram raids in Hamilton West right now. Okay, so we've got a plan, and it's been announced. Others rely, on, others, others rely on ideology. It's a plan that's others, already been done yeah, others, and yeah, let has me have my turn. No, let me have my turn. Others rely on ideology, and the data that backs up that statement by Georgie is absolutely inaccurate. The LSV is a good example of what's worked. MAC actually worked. 15% of people who went to MAC, the military academies, under the national government, actually didn't re-offend. How and many? 15%? And there was a 50% reduction in serious offences. So hang on, so, hang on, so, yeah. so, do you say 15%? Yeah. 
So 85% did no, re-offend? No, no, 50% reduced from violent offending. No, 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 but that first stat no, you no, just 15, gave me. 15, no re-offending, 50%. So, but 85% no, re-offended? No, 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 that's no, correct. No, 50%, like 50% no, no serious violent offending, right. and that's what Labor is soft on. Actually, Labor's had five years in power. What have they done for Gary over at Auto Bodies in King Street? What have they done for Richard at Speedy Science, who had a compressor and a generator stolen two weeks ago? They have done nothing, and I bet you Georgie doesn't even know these guys. Okay, go, go over. You can well, tell me. How you businesses that you've just gone and seen in the last 24 hours is not going to help. But I'm just going to quickly just mention that you know allocating money is is good, but you know you need to get outcomes as well. We're talking about the um, you know uh, Henry Bennett Centre, which uh, the government said the mental health unit would get funding. It's four or five years on, it hasn't even started building. Right, same thing as the Dunedin Hospital and other things. Shovel ready projects, right? 289 projects, 59 of those have been completed. So this is a government that talks about allocating a lot of money to a lot of things. You come back, all they've done is cut the ribbon put a plug on it. Well, now, hang on. It's a billion dollars extra a week under Labor being spent right now. Where is that in terms of those guys that are suffering? OK. I, I feel like I, sh I should also point out that, uh, and, you know, it's a shame it's taken a by-election to actually get this kind of policy out of the National Party. You know, back in August, we released our crime policy. Uh, we talked about uh, youth offenders uh, from Ram Raiders, smash and grabs as well. That's, a, that's another tricky thing with that prevention fund. Uh, and we've said, look, you know, if you're going to be a repeat offender in this case, it's going to be ankle bracelets. At the time, the National Party didn't support it. Uh, but along comes the by-election and they do. Righto. Stay with us. Our Hamilton West debate continues after the break. And then what happened to the big tourism reset? With our borders finally open, we ask what has actually improved for the sector off the back of the pandemic shutdown? Kia ora We welcome back to Q&A. We will take you to the second part of our Hamilton West debate. And next up... I asked about the old slow train to Auckland. I want to ask you about the train. Who here has taken a ride on Tehuia? Tama, why not? You live in Auckland? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I live in Hamilton. You lived in Auckland, no, I see. I live yeah. in Hamilton West yeah, yeah. on Rains Road, unlike at least one other candidate here. So, uh, no, I haven't ridden on the Tehuia train. Um, what should be the future of Tehuia, Jane? Yeah, it's a tricky one. You know, it's, it's costing uh, taxpayers a considerable amount. Uh, and look, if there's something more cost effective that can be worked out so that it's an efficient service, it goes often. You know, there's a lot of complaints about Tahuya in terms of how long it takes and how often they Would AX scrap it or keep know. it? Um, the intention, I think, would, would be to look at a bit of a cost benefit analysis on this. Uh, and find alternatives. And there have been other, you know, private sector um, uh, institutions out there that so have So you'd said, scrap it? I mean, uh, you'd be the, you'd be the MP claim. for Hamilton West saying, yep. um, we're going to scrap the train to Auckland I, for the time being and leave it to the private sector. We've, we've got to, if we can do a PPP, if we can and find alternative funding, if we can make this thing work properly, uh, look, at the moment it's, it's costly, uh, but it's there, you know, it's, it's not something I'd commit to just scrapping straight away. So a sitting Member there. of Parliament in Hamilton has not made up their mind yet about a transportation option in Hamilton. What should happen to the to Look, it's a great service, and w what I would really admire is that the Waikato Regional Council have done a really good work in terms of actually listening to the feedback of the people and changing the services so that people actually do use it. I think it's a great service, and we need to be able to build on it uh, to actually make it even better. Do you think it's a great service, Georgie? It's kind of slow. Transport is one of the main things that we need to focus on. and we.
that because we know we need to address climate change and that's what the Labor Party's doing. So Hui is one piece of that puzzle along with other transport options such as our new expressway, um, new cycling and biking mm. routes. Hamilton is a really connected hubbing, hubbing, hub. <laughs> humming hub <laughs> and the Tahuia <laughs> is, is one of the ways that we're connected to Auckland and connected to other cities. I fully support the train. I think it's awesome. Don't forget the light rail in Auckland, which was supposed to start in 2019. Another That's great an Auckland issue. We'll That's push, right. push that to one side. You know, Come on. The National Party is the party of infrastructure. It's, it's great that Georgie mentioned the expressway because the National Party started that and made sure that it got delivered. The expressway out here, the Waikato yeah, yeah. Expressway, and that's enabled faster, more efficient times from Auckland to Hamilton. So what would be your priorities in the transport space if you were the next MP for Hamilton West? Well, look, the key issues in Hamilton West right now are crime and cost of living. Mm. Those are the outstanding issues in Hamilton West. Uh, and the National Party has looked at and really dug into the uh, four-laning out to Piarere and also the Southern Lakes. And we've looked at those and, and we'll continue to look at those in the coming months. OK, let's talk about the cost of living a little bit. Is there anything you can do as a local MP for Hamilton West to ease the cost of living for your residents? Go right. Well, look, in the larger scheme of things, I think one thing that we do need to look at is taking the GST off uh, from fruits and veggies. Uh, because that's something that affects everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're rich or poor. Uh, um, I mean, that's one of the good options to look at. Uh, locally, I mean, you have to work with the government of the day to, to get the best uh, for your uh, constituency in that regard. This is always going to be the question for you, right? Whether or not people can trust that you're going to be able to work with the government given your relationship with Labour at the moment. But will the local Labour candidate be able to work with the government and get the things done? Well, at least they're, they're part of the government. No, I'm happy I was, to answer I was, the I was, question I was in, the caucus, like I was in that caucus where no feedback is ever taken at all by the, uh, the government from their MPs at all, yeah. right? They haven't listened to any whether it was MIQ stuff, whether it was health-related things, okay. there's never that conversation. Cost of living, what can you do? Reduce the bottlenecks in the economy, enable immigration, particularly for nurses. Right. Stop the indiscriminate, outrageous government spending that's going on, a billion dollars a week extra compared to national in 2017. Give some tax relief in the form of inflation indexing. Okay, and also... And that top tax, right? Don't forget that. Reduce the... Redu uh, give some tax relief to hard-working people and keep money in the pockets of people like these three here. OK? Uh, and also reconsider, recalibrate the Reserve Bank mandate. Right. But as a local MP, though, this is my point, is there anything you can do as an electorate MP for Hamilton West to try and ease the cost of living? The cost of living, I, I feel the strain on families at the moment. And it's not just in this country. We know it's across the, across the world. We see it on the news in the UK, Australia. Um, and we don't, unfortunately, have a magic wand that we can wave and get rid of that cost of living. Just visit the, the, any supermarket in Hamilton and you'll see that prices are just getting outrageous. But what we are doing is targeting relief towards elderly and low and middle income earners in order to ease that pressure on them. But you get inflation indexed the tax rates right now. As far, as far as National's policy on tax, it seems ridiculous that we would give a tax cut to our highest earners in this country when the cost of living for our lowest and middle earners is so high. OK, but we're talking about what you can achieve as the local MP. James, is there anything you can really do? Yeah, look, well, the, the, 
the good thing about this by-election is it's a bit of a staging ground for the election next year and, and look, as, as a local MP, uh, as particularly an opposition MP, uh, you know, that gives us the ability and licence to present our policies and alternative and, you know, ACT is the only party with a fully costed alternative budget. We'd save $7.2 billion uh, and look, you know, this is part of reigning in government spending because you've just got so much borrowing and so much spending on wasteful activities that it's just money sloshing around in the economy. It's driving up inflation, 7.2% last checked. Uh, and, and that's what's really hitting people in the pockets. I mean, we've got to sort that out. Georgie, you said before that Hamilton is humming. Hamilton is also growing and fast. So I want to talk quickly about housing infrastructure. We have heard feedback at length that central government hasn't sufficiently supported local government in Hamilton to support good growth. But then Megan Woods was here just this week announcing $150 million uh, for Hamilton from the Infrastructure Accelerator Fund, more than any other city in New Zealand. Problem solved? Look, I was in this exact room yesterday with Megan Wood's announcement, um, and that's going to mean 4,000 new houses in Hamilton uh, with infrastructure, including a water reservoir, to support that. It's not going to solve in itself the housing problem, but it's one step that the government is taking and it's planned to address this. We need to move people out of transient houses and get them into more permanent homes. And this fund that was announced yesterday is part of that process. See, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the transient houses because compared to the rest of New Zealand, Hamilton has significantly more people per capita on the public housing register and more families living in motels. That is a quote from Treasury. And that's under the Labor government. Labor's been in power for five years. Why are we still in this situation? No one's disputing the, the difficulty on people right now. Um, what Labor has done is they've built uh, over 1,000 public houses, houses in Hamilton, uh, which is a lot more than I'd say the previous government did when it scrapped state houses. Tama, do you support the medium density residential standard? Look, there are some challenges with it, but there's been bipartisan support for, for those things. Yeah, no. uh, what, what I will say is that uh, in terms of infrastructure and building houses, I have done that in Hamilton as part of a team. I've actually helped build houses and help rezone and build infrastructure and civil works around the city. And I've been very proud of doing it, look for the support of people Will to carry on. Will the NDRS on. be good for Hamilton though? I mean National supports it as you say. Well there's definitely, uh, in, in our view, there's definitely uh, bipartisan support for that. And Will it be good for continue. Hamilton? Uh, yes. Yes, it will be, but it has to be carefully managed. Mm. Yes, it will be. But in terms of my experience in, in, in building density and building houses through Hamilton and Auckland, I know and all have some skills and knowledge and networks to activate that and make that work. Speaking of your experience, throughout your life you have advocated for stronger Māori um, voice and, and governance and leadership. So why do you oppose the co-governance part of the Three Waters reform? Well, I oppose co-governance on public services. That includes the three water reforms. What we're dealing with there and in health and in other things is needs. What are the needs? And we are really focusing on establishing targets and, and outcomes for the needs of communities, people, infrastructure and other things. What co-governance do you support? I, I no, do no, not I know, but no. what, 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 where, well, should, where well, is co-governance yeah, appropriate? I and the National Party have both acknowledged that there are treaty settlements like the Waikato River Authority where we have supported co-governance. But in terms of public services, no amount of bureaucracy is going to deliver on the needs of, of health. Up at Waikato Hospital right now, as you know, nearly 100 people in September had longer wait times than 24 hours. Now, under, under our party, our government, when we get into government next year, we will have targets and follow the recommendations of people like John Bonning up at the Waikato Hospital.
Georgie, Hamilton's council doesn't want three waters. Mayor Paula Southgate advocated for the reforms to be scrapped and then she was of course re-elected a month or so later. So what is your message to Hamilton West voters who don't want to see three waters and who see Labor pushing it through? Look, this is overall just about clean water pipes and people having clean water coming out of their taps and that's the purpose of this legislation. There's been many changes made and you've seen that in, in the process. Uh, the point though is that our people have clean access to clean water and they're not having their rates spiralling out of control. But it shouldn't be Molesworth Street that decides that. You've got to engage with councils and get them on board and the communities. And that's why I was the only member of parliament who took a petition against Three Waters out of the 120 MPs. OK, uh, this is not a question for Gaurav and it'll become obvious why, but for, for James, Georgie and Tama, prove to us you're not just party drones. Tell me one of your party's policies that you disagree with. Who <laughs> first? You take it. Go on, James. Yeah. Uh, what, what I'll say actually is it's um, the, the nimbleness of the ACT Party having 10 MPs across all these areas. You know, it enables us to have these robust discussions, you know, in caucus. Uh, and look, at the end of the day, we actually work these things out. Mm. You know, when, when an issue comes up and there might be something of a slight difference there, we work it out, we figure it out, and, and at the end of it, we go, you know what, that'll make that sense. That is a nimble answer as well, yeah. but it's not an answer yeah. to the question I asked. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, uh, you know, if there's, if there's one thing uh, I, I could say, it's like around, um, for instance, live animal export. You know, that's one thing where I went, you know, there's, pro there's, there's two sides to this coin. Um, I think um, the, the way the government went about this sort of thing, they just, you know, they went through, they said, we're going to ban it, we're not going to consult with farmers, the, the primary industries. Uh, that was an atrocious way to go about it. So, um, you know... A, a but in principle, change, you, yeah, right. I, I just wanted more discussion, to be honest, because it's, um, I, I, I support the exposition fully mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, totally opposed to what the government did with this. Um, but definitely there was no consultation. Uh, you know, part of me just wanted more of that. So, Georgie, I know you're new to the game, so this is a very mean question. <laughs> you're give, me, give, me one, give me one thing you disagree with, with your Yeah, party. look, I'm a Hamilton local. Um, I've lived here a long time, and I feel in touch with the people of Hamilton West. My absolute priority is ensuring that their issues are front and centre in government. I know I haven't answered your question. No, you <laughs> but I'm going to get Take there. What I, th <laughs> what I think, the issues we've spoken about today, yeah. the cost of living, um, the issues with housing, you know, our communities are really hurting. Labor's done a lot, mm. but I want Labor to do a lot more, and I know that do just that and my role should I be selected is to absolutely I won't be ambushing anyone mm. but I will be banging on Andrew Little's door and the rest of the ministers for the voices of Hamilton West. I'm glad you can laugh about that. Tama come on. My response is this Jack. I've got two. First one is I'm here to support the party leader and I hope I get the, the, the support of the Hamilton West voters and that within our party we have discussions and debates and we get to policies which I support. The second thing is, it's like marriage, Jack. My wife and I might disagree, but we stay together and we love one another and we represent ourselves as a whānau. Very diplomatic. I can see you've got a strong marriage, Tava. Uh, Godav, no keep point asking. There, keep it that way, mate. Yeah. Keep it that way. Yeah. Look, um, but, I'll, but I'll quickly just say you that. You don't disagree with momentum on anything, No, do I you? don't. But, but my point here is, right, like, as an MP, you can't, you know, you don't have a monopoly on all the good ideas. And that's why I said, you know, there's a lot of good things about Three Waters, but I was the only MP to take a petition against it. Because my point is there's 67,000 constituents in Hamilton West, right. and they will have different opinions. And the Labour Party said, well, you can't take a petition against Three Waters. I still did. Similarly, okay. about removing the Russian ambassador, 
ambassador. At that point, they said, well, we shouldn't do this diplomatically. I still took a petition against that. Now the government is saying they want to remove the Russian ambassador, okay. possibly. Uh, two questions to, to wrap up. Very quickly, a yes or no. If you don't win this by-election, will you contest it again next year in the general election? James. Yes. Yes. That will depend on the National Party selection process, but I'd if, be putting... If National uh, supports if, you? No. I think it depends on the leaders of the House. Yeah. yeah. Would yeah. you? Yes. yes. Depends on the leaders of the House in Hamilton. Uh, yes, I will. And finally, give me the pitch. You've got a year or so, depending on when the general election is next year, that you would be the local MP for Hamilton West. What will you achieve in those 12 months or so if you win this by-election? James. Well, to say to the people of Hamilton West, uh, I'm a Hamiltonian, spent most of my life here. Uh, I'm an experienced MP, I've been working through these issues and, and helping people from Hamilton and all over the place. Uh, even uh, got an interpreter from Afghanistan uh, here to New Zealand across our very difficult So border. what will you achieve in the uh, next year? Yeah, so sticking up for Hamiltonians, taking those local issues, of which there are many. You know, people here on the ground are actually really frustrated with the direction of this country, uh, with three waters, with the reforms, uh, with infrastructure, with housing. Uh, but I'll be saying, look, here's our policies. I'll take your issues there and I'll send a message to this government and I already know how to do it, already know what I'm doing and um, they can have their faith in me to do that. Georgie. Hamilton is an incredible place and that's why I've chosen to make it my home. I live here, I work here and I'm raising my kids here. Um, what, what I'd like to see is that the voices of Hamilton West are represented by their local member of parliament in government uh, and I would be that absolute strong voice for those people. As a local business owner and also a union leader, I understand the pressures on bo in both of those areas um, and I feel I'm able to really express that, understand the issues and take them to Wellington and that would be my absolute priority. Tama. Yeah, kia ora, Jack, and kia ora to everyone here actually. I'm a person who's really focused on getting things done. I'm working diligently using my skills, knowledge and network to achieve results. I will not rely wholly on ideology, kindness or momentum. I will get things done for people in Hamilton West. It's in my diverse resume, it's in our family activities and what we've done for the voters of Hamilton West and I'm out there to make Hamilton West set it up to be the best place to grow up and grow old in New Zealand. Got up. Well, Look, the biggest thing is that, you know, before I became a politician, I was a doctor in the community. Uh, I used to work in a high needs area. I had over 12,000 patients in the practice that I worked in. And what drove me to uh, politics was to be able to make a change and to challenge the status quo. You know, I've taken a pay cut, you know, I've worked longer hours. And the idea was to make sure that people have increased access to their MP. So in the last two years, I've done more constituent clinics than any MP in the country, 52 constituent clinics. They're in community halls, churches, uh, marais, schools, nine o'clock at night at a pharmacy. And the whole idea is that people can come to me, I can go to people rather than people coming to me. Similarly, I published the data on all the cases that I've run. So, you know, transparency is an important part because people need to know what their so MP does. So what will you does. achieve? Yes, so it is about making sure that people can first of all find you, right? Because the first thing is we've got um, James here, who is a sitting MP, doesn't have an office in Hamilton, right? Oh, so the now. first thing is, well, come road. on, well, I'm, I'm interested in you, yeah, so I've, if right, you are the MP, yes. what will you achieve? Yes, so increasing uh, access to AMB to, to get the work done, which we have done thousands of cases, mm -hmm. and to increase transparency, and to actually uh, be part of uh, the next government as a coalition partner, uh, and bring uh, centrist outcome-based policies rather than just ideology-based policies on either side. Would you support Labour? In a coalition, out of interest? No, so it would be based on, as I said, it'll be based on policy, right? So I'm, I'm not going to so say... So maybe. So if, if they agreed on, on the policies that we're coming out with, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be looking at both sides. All right, we have to wrap there. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck for the next few weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Jack. Thanks, Jack. Gaurav Sharma.
James McDowell, Georgie Dancy and Tama Portaka. Voting in Hamilton West starts on November 28th and closes on December 10th. And hey, a huge thanks to the Waikato Museum staff for their help. They've got the Wildlife Photographer of the Year exhibition opening soon. And from all accounts, it is amazing. Hey, uh, Kuane, we're back after the break. The borders are open again, Aotearoa is open for business and what was once our biggest export industry, tourism, is in dire need of a good summer. So will they get it? Fina Owen sat down with Tourism Minister Stuart Nash and started by asking whether international tourists are actually coming here. Look, I think it's going to be an absolute boomer. We've got about 150,000 international tourists in here. Kiwis are travelling like they've never travelled before. Uh, it's going to be a hot summer. There's still a couple of issues. You know, it's a bruised industry, I'll be honest with you. But it's an industry that now is looking forward. You know, we're out of the pandemic for the first time in a long time. That huge big light at the end of the tunnel isn't a steam train. It is international tourists. It's money being spent. It's everything that... Uh, we want the tourism sector in this wonderful country to be. But it is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, just talking to some of the tourist operators in Tiano mm. recently, mm. they're thrilled that the tourists are going to get back, but they don't know how they're going to get through this summer, um, you know, with a lack of workers. Mm. Working really hard on that. I mean, there's something called the, the working holiday visa. Uh, we've approved about 35,000 and we've seen about 17,000 already come into this country. This is people mainly at this point from, uh, from the UK, from France, from Germany, from the US. So these are young people who are you know, sitting at home and go, well not sitting at home, but, but are adventurous. They want to come somewhere because they want to travel, it wants to be warm, it wants to be cool. Uh, and they want to have an adventure, and uh, New Zealand's the place. We're bringing in about 1,000 a week at the moment, which is not unexpected. But it's going to be tough, don't get me wrong, I don't want to say that everything's perfect. People I've spoken to in the industry recently say that they're worried that brand New Zealand will be damaged mm. because they can't deliver the same level of, of service. Look, I, I am concerned about that, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the lack of workforce um, compared to what we had pre-COVID is a concern because we do need to be able to deliver on the expectations that people who are spending a lot of money to get here do have. But I, you know, I, I think the people, certainly the people that I've talked to over the last two years and the people I've met from literally Cape Rianga all the way down to Bluff, you know, they work really hard. They understand the level of service they've got to give. I think you'll find that there'll be a little bit of latitude given by and large by tourists who are coming here because most of them will have come from a snowy New York or a really cold London or an apartment filled Amsterdam or wherever. They're living the dream by coming here, they're going to be dressed in shorts and a t-shirt and they're going to be having a fantastic time. If it takes them 10 minutes longer to get their coffee, so be it. You presented a bill to the House a few weeks ago, didn't mm. you? Mm. So that was restricting the areas where Freedom Campers could camp. Mm. Is that, I think most New Zealanders would agree that that needed to happen, but maybe that's going to be a deterrent to those people coming out with working visas? I don't know. You know, there are 400 campgrounds up and down this country, and most of them are located in places like Mahe Beach. Queenstown has set up an, um, an amazing place for freedom campers. Now, keeping in mind, when we're talking about freedom campers that we've banned from just camping by the, you know, pulling over by a beach and setting up shop, we're talking about those without a fixed toilet. So the camper vans with a fixed toilet, they're fine. It's these other ones that they're colloquially known as sliders. And the reason for that is because you can hear the door slide open in the middle of the night as someone goes out to the toilet and slide shut again. 
you know, that's not what our vision is for tourism. It's not what Kiwis want to see on our beaches and beside our rivers. Uh, first of all, I make no apology for wanting high-quality tourists in this country. The second thing I would say is I think our value proposition is really strong already amongst the sort of high-net-worth individuals that, that are globally that travel globally anyway, but it's also really strong amongst the backpacker set. So, you know, Tourism New Zealand and the New Zealand story tell me that the young people who want to come here for an adventure, they know about this country. We don't have to spend limited marketing budgets trying to attract backpackers here. Where we need to spend that money is people who you know, live on the, the east coast of, of North America, where Air New Zealand has that first direct flight from New York, for example. These are the people who know about our country. As mentioned, this is often a bucket list destination. They spend a little bit more money. They're sort of ecologically and um, conservation conscious. Uh, but they, you know, they want to come here, they understand our values, they engage, they'll perhaps go into the regions. These are the people that we're going to spend our limited marketing budget uh, ch uh, channeling the aspiration into action. So it's a pitch to the rich? No, not in any way, shape or form. High quality doesn't necessarily mean high value. During COVID, we had, in fact, a lot of uh, tourist industries around the world use that COVID void to sit down and talk about how they can reset tourism. And I think actually last week, uh, French Polynesia, for instance, they decided to put an annual cap on the number of tourists they wanted there. What have we done to reset? Yeah, it's a really good question. So we have all these what's called regional tourism organisations. So a couple of things. We have these regional tourism organisations. And, and what they are is, you know, Hawke's Bay has one, uh, Queenstown has one, Wanaka has one, for example. And in the past, I would argue that predominantly they were marketing organisations for their regions. The government gave them about $50 million and said, hey, what we want you to do is to move to a regenerative tourism model. And what that actually means is engage with your local communities. You know, go out there and sell not only a really good story around what tourism can do for our communities, but also hear from the communities and key stakeholders about what they want tourism to deliver to our regions. And I'll tell you, the plans that have come back are really, really good around what's happening. So that's the regions. Secondly, what we did is for the first time in about 40 years, we allowed Tourism New Zealand to market to Kiwis. And so pre-COVID, Kiwis were about 60% of the tourism market. Um, obviously with borders closed, they were 100%. And Kiwis got out in a way they've never done or haven't done for a very long time. So we're going to continue that because we think that's really important. We've also done things like the Milford Opportunities Project. You know, arguably, uh, Milford Opportunities in that part of the world is on about 50% of all posters where we market our wonderful country overseas. That's right. yeah. But the year before COVID, 900,000 tourists went to Milford Sound. I don't think we were delivering on the brand promises that we had made to people who were coming here. You know, it was a bit of a camper van car park. It, it's not as flash as it could be. I just don't think we were living the brand that we had sold to people who were paying a lot of money to come here. We want to do things differently. And for me, it's a bit of a trial, but this could really be the epitome of what, you know, 21st century, brand New Zealand, uh, high wage, low carbon tourism could look like. Milford Sound, for me, is a test case to how we could get this really, really right. But there's a lot, lot of work to do before we get there, of There course. is a lot of work to do. And in fact, I don't think they report 
back to cabinet until 2025 after their oh, 2024 yeah. mid 2024 excuse but some me. really big decisions to be made but in the meantime yeah. so that's quite a lag though isn't it because it was discussed before COVID so it's quite a long-term project but the implications of this are significant just before COVID we had over three million over three million tourists over three million tourists yeah. Would you, I mean, you must as tourism minister have thought about an ideal figure mm. where we should sit? Mm. No. You haven't? No, and let me tell you the reason why. For me, success in the tourism sector is not about numbers. Let me give you an example. Um, Pre-COVID, we had about 0.27% of the global tourism numbers, but about 0.8% of global tourism spend. And I said to my officials, what would it take to get to 1% of global tourism spend? And I'm told that would add about $4 billion to our economy. But all it takes is for every tourist to do one more thing a day. So for me, it's not about numbers. Um, it's about high quality, back to that point, high quality tourism. And often, you know, we don't want people just to fly into Auckland, go to Rotorua and go to Queenstown. We'd love them to come in off shoulder. They're not coming to Rotorua apparently at the moment. Oh, they'll come to Rotorua. That place is... Do you is, think so? They, have, they say that their spend over the last year is down by about 17 million, yeah. visitor spend. Yeah. And the town has done the heavy lifting when it comes to emergency housing. Yep. So, you know, can you go into bat for them oh, as totally. tourism look, minister? Look, look um, I love Rotorua. I used to live in Rotorua when I worked for Fletcher Challenge Forests. Um, I've been to, I was there, uh, uh, I've been to Rotorua numerous times, met a local mayor, she's a fantastic new aspirational visionary leader for that town and I think she's going to make a real difference. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of that place. It is magnificent and you've got everything there from hot pools with the Provincial Growth Fund and another one of my portfolios has spent a lot of money uh, doing up the whole lakefront there. There's a new spa that's opening up. You've got mountain biking. You've got the redwoods, obviously. You know, you can go to, a, to Rotorua for a weekend or a week and you will always have something different to do. I love that. I love that town. So moving west, Ruapehu yeah. Alpine Lifts. Yeah. Um, the government has given them a bit of a rescue package and hopefully they'll limp through to Christmas or beyond. Do you think with the changing climate and maybe some other sort of economic forces that there comes a point where a business just has to think, just has to say this is not viable and you can't give them handouts anymore? Look, that's an interesting case because they had a lot of debt. So Ruapai, who you go there to ski, right? More and more, we need people to go there to tramp in the summer, to mountain bike. We need to, we need to expand the, you know, the things that people can do there. We but need to diversify mm -hmm. for 12 months of the year. So big decisions have to be made by local councils. What I will say is the Minister for Regional Economic Development, we're happy to sit down with councils and say, how can we work together to come up with diversification strategies that will allow your district not only survive but thrive. In essence, we did this with Queenstown. Again, as Minister for Tourism, we put together a $20 million diversification fund. It's interesting in those recent um, stats out that Queenstown and Auckland, mm. where there's a big tourism focus, mm. are the ones that are really making quite strong economic gains at the moment. Mm. What does that say about the role of tourism in our economy? It's, look, before COVID, it was our number one expert earner. Do you want to get back to that, by no, the way? Totally, I do. $40 billion, you want to get back to that? Oh, and higher. But, but as mentioned, you, won't, you will never hear me say, this is the number of tourists I want in this country. What I would love to see is people in April and May going to Hawke's Bay, as mentioned, going to 
wire wrapper going to a number that going to Taranaki. We haven't mentioned the Chinese because they would really boost the numbers mm. and I think um, a lot of tourist industries around the world are really missing the Chinese mm. and we're waiting for those COVID restrictions to ease. Mm. Um, are, are you tracking that as Tourism Minister? Like when mm. can we expect our Chinese um, visitors to come back? So I spoke to a Chinese expert recently about what his view in terms of you know, lockdowns, etc. And he said that he doesn't think there'll be any restrictions whatsoever before Chinese New Year. And the reason for that is Chinese New Year, Chinese do tend to travel a lot, domestically and internationally. And his view was that he doesn't think the government is going to want Chinese citizens to travel a lot domestically. He thinks that, and, and, and there won't be a hard, you're locked down now, there's no lockdown. He thinks they'll slowly, slowly relax the settings, but he doesn't see this happening before Chinese New Year. You can travel now for, um, for out of China for business, um, but you've still got to isolate when you come back. You can't travel, my understanding, is for holiday. But it'll, it'll slowly come back. But, you know, in the meantime, So it's really 2024... Probably 2024. You know, globally, we are in tough times. I think everyone acknowledges that. But I think for a country like New Zealand, where we've got such a strong brand and such a strong value proposition, there will always be a good core group of people who will want what we have, are prepared to pay for it, no matter what the economic conditions, and they'll come here and our tourism sector will build back even better than it was pre-COVID. That is Tourism Minister Stuart Nash speaking with Fina Owen. After the break on Q&A, what is the future for Donald Trump? The presidency or prison? We speak to a Pulitzer Prize winner who thinks the Don's time is running out. Kia ora te welcome back. Well, we always knew he was going to have another crack, but Donald Trump's third presidential campaign could be coloured by criminal indictments from the US Department of Justice. Syracuse University law lecturer and Pulitzer Prize winning journalist David K. Johnston has written extensively about the former president. Johnston's been visiting New Zealand this week, and I asked him if he's at all surprised by Trump's campaign announcement. I'm not surprised that Donald just announced, but he has no chance of getting there, uh, in good part because Rupert Murdoch abandoned him, and the cover of the New York Post uh, made fun of him one day as Humpty Dumpty, and the next day had a line at the bottom, Florida retiree makes announcement. Um, but Donald's ego demands it, and Donald believes and has said for uh, most of the 34 years that I've known him that he should be president. No one else is qualified. Trump lost the presidency. His highest profile supporters performed poorly in the midterms. How do you see the contest for the Republican nomination playing out? Well, uh, one of the other Republican uh, uh, politicians, uh, most likely at the moment, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, will be the standard bearer for the Republicans. What the Republicans have to worry about is that Trump if he decides to run as an independent, uh, that would guarantee the Democrats will win the White House in 2024 because it would split the Republican vote. How likely is that? Well, I'd say pretty likely. Uh, you know, Donald needs attention. He's always desperate for attention because of the way his monster of a father raised him. And he believes in his own mind that he is, uh, you know, a demigod, not demagogue, a demigod. He's made many statements indicating that, in fact, even suggesting he's a god. 
And so his ego needs are going to overwhelm everything else, his desperate need for approval, Jack. I want to talk about Trump's legal situation. What role are his legal challenges playing in his decision to run again for president? Well, the reason Trump announced 720 days, almost two years before the election, is that he knows he's going to be indicted soon. And what you will see Donald do once he's indicted is say, the indictment is just to keep me from being president. That's what the radical liberals are doing to keep me from being president. It's a uh, preemptive move. And Donald's very good at preemptive moves. For all the things that I've exposed about Donald, all from the public record, so he's never been able to show anything I wrote isn't correct, uh, I have great admiration for his skill as a con artist. He's the greatest con artist in the history of the world. And secondly, he really knows how to defeat law enforcement. He, in his 30s, he beat four different federal grand juries. And he's escaped criminal charges many times through his deft maneuvers. You're referring to the Department of Justice federal investigation. What will happen if Donald Trump is indicted? It's not going to have any effect on the Justice Department, nor are the threats that are being made against law enforcement. And unfortunately, there are people who are going to die or be injured over this, but you can't be intimidated in enforcing the law. And I don't expect him to be indicted directly over January 6th in his effort to overthrow the government, but rather for taking very sensitive documents, including the identities of foreign agents and assets of the U.S., and casually leaving them around Mar-a-Lago. And I suspect there are more documents at his Bedminster golf course and at Trump Tower that have yet to be recovered. The U.S. Justice Department has harshly prosecuted people for removing a single piece of not especially consequential paper that deals with intelligence and is stamped classified. So they don't have any choice but to indict him. The issue will be how do they frame the case, something that I will be exploring with my law students at Syracuse University College of Law this spring. What do you mean by that, how they frame the case? Well, there's an old saying among prosecutors, and I've been an investigative reporter since the 1960s, that you don't bring the case you should bring or you want to bring. You bring the case you know you will win. So Trump has committed so many offenses that the Justice Department has a smorgasbord of opportunities. But what the senior prosecutors overseeing this investigation will do is identify and write up in the indictment uh, matters in which they are confident that the only way Trump could escape a conviction is if a ringer gets on the jury, someone who wants to nullify the prosecution because they're a Trump supporter, and they lie during jury selection during the process of voir dire. Look, critics of the former president might be happy if he is indicted on federal charges, but would it be good for America and societal cohesion if he's indicted? Well, I think it's essential. I mean, I think the unfortunate part was how Donald got into the White House. Remember that the Kremlin sent emails that were kept secret for a year saying they were helping Donald, and Trump's uh, son-in-law, campaign manager, and son took a meeting with Russian agents who were trying to help him. Um, uh, once you have entered public life, though, you have to be held accountable. And taking highly sensitive documents, lying about it, as Trump had his lawyers do, 
uh, is a crime of such magnitude that I don't think the Justice Department has any option but to uh, convict him, uh, indict him, and hopefully a jury will convict him. Um, otherwise, there's no rule of law if we don't hold people accountable for serious wrongdoing. That is Syracuse University law lecturer and Pulitzer Prize winner, winner David K. Johnston. Stay with us. q and is back after the break. Kuomotu, that is Q&A for this week. From the Q&A team, nā mihi kia koutou i ngā karere. Thanks for your messages and feedback. Hei tērā wiki. We'll see you next Sunday at 9am. Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.